You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Oz Network for Random Rewatch Mondays. I mean, sorry, Lost Season 3, Episode 2 um, coverage here on the Oz Network. Uh, now we are covering the Golden Girls because Ben and Noah are too lazy to record Lost episodes. They don't feel like watching season whatever the hell they're on. And so here we are. Colin and I are here to recap random episodes that we've been dying to talk about ever since we've been podcasting, but have not had the chance until now. Colin had his say last week. He talked about corner gas. I had to sit and suffer. (laughs) But no suffering will be had this week as we watch the Golden Girls season two, episode four, I believe. It's a miserable life. And... Very unironically, we are not miserable because we have to talk about the Golden Girls. So let's just jump right into it. As always, I'm Rossi, and look, Mr. Pfeiffer, about the funeral. I mean, about the funeral. Uh, that that goes well because my name is Pacolin. The P is not silent. <laughs> Where's the P? <laughs> Pacolin or Colin P? Pacolin. Oh well, Pacolin. Um Let's just, first let I me. Mean, obviously, we talked a little bit about Corner Gas last week or last episode about how it was, you know, a, a Canadian staple. Canadians love it. Um, what's your relation to the Golden Girls? Because obviously, when I announced it, this was going to be the episode. You were very into it, very yeah. excited. So, obviously, getting your take on something that's not a Canadian icon <laughs> would be interesting to see. Uh, you know, there's something weird about the Golden Girls that I. I thought for years it was just me, and apparently it isn't, because I remember it would have been very late in this show's run, like maybe even within the final season. uh, This was just on, like in syndication, it was on in reruns, and for whatever reason, I remember watching it and, you know, really getting into the show and then deciding I wanted to watch the show every single day. Uh, and even after it was canceled, I remember for years after that, you know, uh, watching it whenever it was on TV and, and when I would ever, ever think like, what are the, the greatest sitcoms of all time? I would think, you know, obviously home improvement, which was my favorite, um, Mr. Bean, you know, cheers. And I would always group the golden girls in with that. And then I I remember when I was a teenager, uh, (laughs) uh, I had, not one, but more than one friend who would talk about the Golden Girls being one of their favorite shows. And we're talking about, like, teenage boys here. And then as I've gotten older, it, it seems like it, it's developed kind of this cult following among, you know, younger people. Because you would have thought the audience for this show would have been adults. And, no, I've come to realize that so many people grew up watching the show as kids. And I can't even tell you how many grown men I run into for this to this day who, if you mention the Golden Girls, like, oh, I love the Golden Girls. It just it has this weird appeal for everybody. You're talking about like grown men you run into. That sounds like the I mean, it's not like I, total segregation. Yeah, it's not like you know you you you're pumping gas at you know corner gas, <laughs> and you're like, hey, what's your favorite show? But like, you know, if if you're working with somebody or, or uh, you're talking to a friend of yours, and you're like, oh, remember the Golden Girls? Like, so many grown men love this show and I, I wish I could put my finger on it because it's not the type of thing that should appeal to kids teenagers or grown men but like throughout every age that I've lived I've always run into people of like the same demographic who just love this show 
It's just funny the way you say you run into grown men. <laughs> Sounds like Jeff Probst when he's like, people on the street come up to me and ask. <laughs> just like just casually out in the you know, city, city life talking about the Golden Girls. Oh. But no, I definitely kind of agree. Like it's crazy that the show is so universal for a show that, I mean, we'll get into like how revolutionary the show was, but um, just from my quick sense, you know, obviously this is before my time. Like the show went and aired and finished airing before I was even born. So obviously I, I never got exposed to it when I was, you know, of age to watch TV. That wasn't, you know, ch- children's shows, you know. So, you know, when I, fi- you know, my first exposure to this was actually through Drag Race, believe it or not. Because <laughs> in one of the, the first episode of season six, they had a challenge where it was like, make an outfit based on one of these popular shows and the golden girls was one of them. And I was like, Oh, I've heard of that. And then I like, was like, Oh, let me give it a chance. And then I turned out binging it. I love the whole thing. I've watched episodes again and again and again. I love it. It's probably one of my favorite shows. And it's just so, so funny. It's so relatable. And it, it hits on so many things that come across in like a calmer way than like, I mean, this episode talks about death mm. and people, you know, accidentally killing someone. But it, it never feels dark. It never feels, you know, tense. Obviously, there's a lot more tense episodes in the series run than this one. But there's still just the way that they're able to handle these ep- issues and things like that. It just it was really relaxing and really pleasant to see, especially coming from these charismatic women. Mm-hmm. One um, one thing uh, oh, just on that topic, it's been several years since I've really watched it. You know, maybe every once in a while, um, there's a free preview for whatever channel is airing, like the old sitcoms, and I'll catch an episode. But it's been years since I've actually really watched a lot of this show. But the the one episode that always stood out to me that I love, which is very similar to what you're talking about, was one where uh, Rose's boyfriend basically dies in bed with her. And this brings up all these memories about her husband dying as well. Like, it, like... There's not a lot of opportunities, I guess, you get in any type of sitcom to address things like this. And the fact that they made a show about these older women and so much of the show was about like, well, how do you deal with being a senior citizen? And, you know, your kids are grown up and you have no control over their lives or, you know, you you're already widowed or now you're widowed again. And, you know, your neighbors are passing away like there are so many more opportunities on a show like this to handle serious subject matter. And they didn't really shy away from it. I think a lot of shows shied away from, like, even we talk about Home Improvement, you know, at least once a week now. Uh, but uh, I remember, you know, episodes of Home Improvement, there was one where Randy was getting uh, tested possibly for cancer. And that was like a one-off episode. But with Golden Girls, it seemed like, you know, every couple of weeks they were dealing with some serious subject matter. And it never feels dark. Like this episode here it's so jovial and yet it's about a woman dying and one of them being responsible. I mean, there are definitely a lot of, I'm just like trying to recall a lot of episodes where they do talk about things, you know, the episode where Blanche's daughter comes and she wants to talk about artificial insemination. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, Blanche's, you know, brother coming out, um, uh, the aid, the HIV scare with Rose, and some of these other really intense episodes where it really hits home and it's somber and sad. But this episode definitely wasn't that. It's a little bit of the the mix because mm-hmm. there are some episodes where it's just like kind of non-sequential. It's like 
pretty just regular day of the life hijinks mm-hmm. kind of sitcomy things and then there's the intense like drama stuff and i think this is kind of a little bit in between the two obviously this show is very not controversial but um well it was at the time i guess i'll say controversial at the time because no show really had a cast of soul solely of women really at that point let alone women who are over the age of 50 because you know you know like the two rules of filmmaking like was something about like people won't watch if it's all based on women and people won't watch if it's people over 50. Mm-hmm. And this two, these two like proved that that was not true because we watched this show and talk women talking about all these issues and talking about life as if age didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, can you, I mean, you couldn't even imagine, well, I think um jump back and forth here, but um, I remember reading an article or hearing an interview where it was like, because they were old, they could talk about all these things. Like they could talk about sex. They could yeah. talk about all these issues because that people were giving it a pass because they're these old women. Like if they were teenagers talking about it, it would be more scandalous. Mm-hmm. But and I think that the way that they handled a lot of the writing and the directing and the show running and all that, that was really just so effective, so smart. And it could disseminate these topics really easily and people just reacted respond like positively to it. And I think that's why we love this show. And so many people love this show today mm-hmm. because of that. Uh, well, let's talk about this episode, unless you have anything else to chat about the GGs themselves. I mean, I'm sure we're going to get into a little bit of each of them throughout. And that's the only other thing oh, is that yeah, like, yeah. not only was this a show about these older women, but it was only about them. You know, you have even in other like sitcoms where there's smaller casts you would have guest stars who are always there. And with this show, you know, maybe some of their family members would uh, be there every once in a while, like, you know, Dorothy's ex-husband or uh, their kids or like Rose's boyfriend who ends up dying. They may pop every once in a while, but it's like, it's few and far between. It's basically four characters and only them every single week. Uh, So like in an episode like this, when we, talked about even home improvement a few weeks ago it was how they always found a way to you know include little bits for all the kids like all the kids had their own things but this week might have been the brad episode this week might have been the randy episode with this no matter what episode you get they're all on fire and they're all given something great to do even if it's just one-liners and i think that's the other thing that really set the show apart was it wasn't just the writing of the stories and the characters it was just all these insults and one-liners that like they all had distinct personalities. So even if you're not in the main storyline for the week, it never felt like any character was so like, Oh, well they're just sort of there this week. I mean, that, that obviously a hundred percent agree that obviously ties into the fact that they all live together. So they're kind of all in each other's lives and stuff. Mm-hmm. And also the fact that, you know, I think of sitcoms, I'm thinking, you know, uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is just like one of the first ones of Family Matters and there's always like a couple there's like a a parent yeah. and stuff and this doesn't have that so it's very unique to see that four independent people kind of co- kind of coalescing getting together and dealing with their situations unlike you know hey here's the family and everyone's kind of tied to that mm-hmm. the, they, these women are our family because that's what you know they've become but it's not that sort of traditional, you know, sitcom thing. Like Home Improvement's a family. Mm-hmm. 
like there was always that sort of relationship of, you know, that's that and kind of thing. And then this kind of breaks that a little bit by having it as four different people getting together. Yeah. And completely different personalities but, as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, like no one's the same and no one has the same, you know, attributes or anything. It's like, it's like, um, the, what was it the Marvel crossover thing? Like, this is the greatest crossover. There's <laughs> <laughs> just all these different personalities and traits and everything. It's great. And, they work off each other so well. The actresses are also incredibly talented and they work so well with each other and they have such a great friendship and love for each other. So it's, it's just fun to watch too. Just from that kind of perspective that, that, that translates. Now let's talk about this episode that we, that I selected to watch. Um, like I said last week, this was one of the high, most highly rated episodes on all the articles that I read. This and the one of two episodes prior ladies of the night, I believe. These are probably two of the highest episodes across the whole series. Um, I think it's a great episode. I think it's fun. It's witty. It's got depth to it. And it's just fun to watch. Obviously, the plot of this is that the girls want to save a tree that's 200 years old, but Frida Claxton will not have that. Um, And the episode starts with them doing petition signing, and Blanche spends three hours only getting one. (laughs) You Um, know why? (laughs) because she has to get home to change clothes and freshen up, and then she'll get another yeah. signature. <laughs> and Sophia gets signatures of the people who are already dead. <laughs> and Rose tries to get Miss Claxton to sign, but she doesn't want to do it, and it's on her property, and this is where the kind of plot stems, is that they can't get the signature of her, and the whole thing is down. Uh, what were your kind of initial takes of the episode and kind of obviously the initial... You know, even if you didn't watch the episode, you knew the characters just on this quick interaction. Yeah, like they each have, like we said, their distinct personalities. You know, Sophia is kind of the, uh, you know, Italian-American New Yorker, a little bit shady at times. She doesn't mind cutting corners. Uh, or like the mobster. Chris. Yeah, she's the mobster. Exactly. She's the, the 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 old Sicilian. They they bring that up multiple times in this episode. You know, Rose is the naive one who you know always uh, thinks the best of everything. And Blanche. It's really funny because if I would pick a least favorite Golden Girl, and this would be so controversial because I believe she's probably considered among many people to be the best. If I had a least favorite Golden Girl, it would be Blanche. Um, Oh, get out no, of here. like here's the thing. It's not that I don't love Blanche, but I just feel like the other characters there were more dimensions to them. With her, it often does become just the one joke thing, you know, and so much of this episode is just joking about Blanche sleeping around, you know, and it's a hilarious joke like what other show would address, you know, a senior citizen who's essentially a sex addict. <laughs> um and they always pull it off in original way. So I, I'm not knocking Blanche and saying this. Uh, it's amazing that throughout, what does this show have, seven, eight seasons? Something like that. I'm not quite sure, but something. I'll, like, I can look it up. Years but, upon okay. years. And it never became a repetitive joke. But just because it is always that one thing they have, there's not really much more with her character. She probably would have been my least favorite one. But I just... I, the premise also, it's such an old lady thing. Like, if if you were to describe the Golden Girls to somebody, it's four retired, 
you know, senior citizen ladies who all live together and it's just their everyday life, you would assume that a senior citizen would be sitting there collecting signatures to save a tree. And it sounds like the most boring premise ever. But just the way that they introduce these characters, where you have Sophia pulling her mob dealings of just adding dead people to the list, and uh, the descriptions of Mrs. Claxton as well. You're like, oh, this is going to be great, because this lady sounds like the, the nastiest human being on the planet. I just love... There's so many great lines throughout this episode, which I'm sure we'll get into, about the descriptions of Mrs. Claxton. Yeah, kids wore her as a Halloween costume. <laughs> It's just like that's what that kid, that that's like so out of like place that just like is out of like left field as a commentary line, but it's just so perfect. Like you're like this is a miserable person. People dress up as like Halloween, yep. like a scary monster to be her. Last Halloween, half the kids went as Frida Claxton as their costume. My favorite was Sophia going. She's a miserable, vile, scum sucking crank uh, who gives nice old ladies like me a bad name. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I think Sophia may be my favorite. Just to kind yeah. of throw that out there, just because I love her, like her humor is just a little bit different from everyone else, and it's just so perfect. Just that line, you need it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where um, I kind of don't want to go scene by moment by moment, but I kind of do want to go moment by moment. This is where Rose starts telling the librarian from Saint Olaf mm-hmm. story, and I just love that Blanche is like, "Well, I'm just very hungry." All of a sudden, and just storms off <laughs> into the kitchen. And then Rose comes back in. As I was saying, it's just the St. Olaf rip, um, gag that keeps coming back. All the colorful people from this town. And Blanche is like, if I hear another St. Olaf story, I'm going to explode. <laughs> and then she comes in. It's like, kaboom. Just the the Rose like not picking up the clue is perfect. And like the reactions to it and the fact that St. Olaf is the most ridiculous place ever imagined. Even worse than corner gas. <laughs> Um, it's just crazy and then she saves the, the guy at the library with a knife and she got to rent the book for a week not an hour <laughs> books belong in the library <laughs> and I think the best part of the story is when she's like you know he always said books belong in the library and then Dorothy's like I thought um, Churchill said that <laughs> <laughs> like those two characters it's just it's the perfect pairing you have not just that Rose is kind of the innocent, naive one, but she also is really dumb, and Dorothy is by far the smartest of all these, and also the quickest-witted. Like, it's like watching a stand-up comedian go toe-to-toe with, you know, somebody who's just not all there. Yeah, it's no contest. Dorothy always has, like, the quickest lines. Mm-hmm. Like, the the costume thing earlier, this line really quickly, and she always... And the thing that struck me is that she always makes these references that were, you know, obviously before my time, obviously Cary Grant gets referenced a lot in the series and some of these other celebrities and icons like um, Cheech and Chong come up and, you know, uh, Cher and Sonny and all these people that, I, you know, was before my time. So obviously I have to kind of go back and do my research. And then when, sometimes when I rewatch it, I'm like, that makes so much more sense. And it's hysterical. <laughs> Just like the line, the line delivery and the, the writing of the episode is just so perfect, and her delivery of it all is just so great. Oh. And then she, de- uh, Rose, decides to call Mrs. Claxton, and she's like, "Well, I do think that would be uncomfortable to sit on." Like, 
Rose not getting the insult. Yeah, just wanting to kill her with kindness and just the way that they play that phone conversation where she's like, hello, you know, uh, I was uh, just wondering, you know, and she's starting a conversation and you just hear the silence. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's like, well, I've never sat on one of those before, but I imagine it'll be very painful. <laughs> so brilliant. Just like Rose is not catching on the insult <laughs> and like, so great. And then the next day they're at the, the I don't know, courthouse or whatever to sign in and Sophia's like, why can't we do it? And it's like, Ma, we cannot put a $20 bill on the <laughs> petition. It's illegal. <laughs> and then Blanche goes on this whole thing of like, well, I happen to know some of the commissioners in the door. He's like, well, she slept with two of them. So, <laughs> And that comes up later when uh, Claxton references the photographs that were <laughs> collected. Um, and somehow Dor- Dorothy, not Dorothy, Rose manages to convince, you know, Claxton to sign it. And then she goes on this, the apricot didn't work. The the apple or whatever didn't work. But the prune, my gosh, did the trick. <laughs> it's, it's so fun to see them get all excited and Claxton come in and say, just to insult them piece by piece. And then, you know, I'm here to destroy the tree. Like, it's just setting up the kind of the whole courtroom scene and everything. Um, obviously, I'll let you have your say on what you think of the jokes and the one-liners here, because I think it's all brilliant. Mm-hmm. But then again, I think the whole episode's brilliant. So, Yeah, no, I mean, this episode, it, there's not one boring moment. Like, I think even when Rose is telling her story, you sort of think, like, oh, am I just going to tune out for... Like, you feel like the characters, should I just tune out for a few while? Uh, and it doesn't matter whether you're catching all the jokes or not. This kind of goes along with what you're saying with if you don't get the references. Cause I mean, there's tons of stuff that I don't get in this show. Uh, and sometimes it's just the way they deliver it. You're like, ah, I don't know who it was they're referencing there, but that's so funny. Cause they're just all so good. And this is just where there's a new show that came out now, which I wish was like this. It was a sitcom. I tried to watch um, like brand new, just debuted this year. And I can't even remember what it's called, but it's a similar thing. It's about like a retirement home and, you know, these older people in a retirement home. And I think this is just my suspicion. I'm pretty sure that most of the actors are kind of being aged. There's just something that goes along with being an older actor, especially ones that had so much experience. I mean, um, I think particularly with B. Arthur, who was like a big sitcom star, I think even the, the 60s and 70s. And then Betty White, who'd been around forever. I mean... Going back to like the golden age of television, you know, she was one of the original female comedians on TV. There's so much experience, so they can make anything funny. Um, a couple of little moments that I loved here. Uh, well, we're going to get to the actual courtroom scene in a second, but even the build up to that, uh, when Frida Claxton finally comes in. And the buildup they have where it's like, oh, here she comes. I almost wonder if it was going to be a thing where they weren't going to show her. Like, how do you live up to the type of nasty that they have promoted for the last 10 minutes or whatever? And when she comes in, she just looks like a regular human being. But this lady also just nails her character right away. You know, when she's talking to uh, Blanche and um, Blanche is like, "Uh, I'm Blanche. I'm your neighbor. It says, oh, that's right. I didn't recognize you with your clothes on. It's like. Uh, and she talks about seeing into her bedroom. She goes, I've seen the things you do in there. I'm pretty sure some of it's illegal. I'm looking into it. <laughs> like I, said, I can just imagine this lady who's not only spying on her neighbors, but is legitimately taking notes to see, like, let me see if I can get them arrested for what she's doing right there. 
And then Dorothy's next, and she basically says, Ah, yeah, you're the one who's got nothing going on in her bedroom. And they each just want to hit her. It's just great, because... I, I can't even remember if Sophia had one of those moments here, but that's kind of the build-up of the, the episode in this scene here, is it's just one after the other, they're all, like, literally ready to punch this old lady in the face, which would have made for another great episode. And that it's so funny that in the end, it's Rose who loses it on her, which we'll get to in the next scene. Yeah, I think Sophia says something about, like, I gotta go put holy water on her to see if her head spins around. Yeah. <laughs> like, if she's been possessed by some spirit or mm-hmm. something. Um, yeah, so they all have their dig, and, you know, Frida Claxton, just kind of, like, in the essence of Dorothy, has it right back, you know, obviously breaking some laws to, to photograph these people, <laughs> but um, it's just great delivery, and hey, let's just get right into the courtroom scene, which is critical. They kind of pass whatever. There's some interlude joke of something not being passed, and some people storm out. Um, oh, Menudo concert. They move on. Are you familiar with Menudo? Uh, I didn't pay attention enough to what they were saying, so I, oh. I'm not sure. What. I, I I think the joke so was the joke was um you know the, the motion to pass an outdoor concert from Menudo, and like three people walk out when they say it's motion denied or whatever. But like I, I wouldn't have even known this at the time. It only came years later that I I guess Ricky Martin had been in uh a boy band in the '80s called Menudo you know, long before he was famous as Ricky Martin. So this is obviously one of those dated references that you would have to Google. I, I was kind of lucky that, you know, I'm not familiar with Menudo, but I'm aware now, like, this is the boy band Ricky Martin was in. So I don't know if it really, the joke really even went over with the audience, though, because it was just sort of like a few people chuckling, chuckling like, oh, <laughs> so the confusion, it's not like, uh, it's not like, it's not like, the audience wasn't even a little bit confused at that one joke. If there's one joke that kind of missed in this episode, that's it. It didn't help that it was like on the transition too, from, you know, their conversation outside the room mm-hmm. to the going inside and it, and it, you know, there's a little bit of the track of whatever they were kind of transitioning with clapping, laughing, whatever, you know, could have overridden. Cause I could barely hear it anyway, you know, over the, that is the guy's speaking voice. So totally fair. Not every joke lands, mm-hmm. um, but the rest of these jokes do. Uh, so we obviously get, you know, those people walk out and then they start the next scene and Blanche is going to be the orator for the group because she's happened to be told that she's a great orator. <laughs> and then Dorothy being the smart one enlightens her and says, it means speaker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, so same joke every time, but they make it original. So not a yeah, it's different. Every, it's like same joke, but different delivery. So you still laugh. Yeah. And you're still... Like, you know it's going to happen every time they set it up, but, like, you're just still excited to hear it. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, you know, they get up the yada, yada, yada. The Frida Claxton says, take the tree down because um, it's on her property and everything. And there's a little bit of back and forth. And then they she gets into the photographs of <laughs> her roommate, the human slinky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, the guy running the thing says, are there any faces visible in that? <laughs> And then uh, Blanche is like, you shut up, too. <laughs> and it's just all of that, like, quick exchange is so perfect. Um, and then Rose has her say and says to save the tree. And then Frida Claxton says, I hate you. She's like, how can you hate a living thing? Well, I hate you. And then this sets Rose off. And 
got a rails into Miss Claxton here and she has a heart attack and dies. <laughs> Which sounds very dramatic, but it comes off in a very calm way because the exchange between Sophia and Rose is all about, you know when you told her to drop dead? Yeah. Well, she did. <laughs> it's just like, it's funny, but it, comes, it does that doo-doo-doo dramatic music overplayed. It's just, it's great. And I love that all of, everyone has to say, like even Sophia, who's really not a part of the conversation, has her like quick line at the end and gets it in. The, um, the thing that's most interesting, we, we said at the beginning of the episode about how, um, how this show would deal with dramatic, serious things and yet it doesn't come across as dark or serious or heavy in any way. And I think if you describe that to somebody without them seeing it, it would almost seem like you're making light of it. I mean, this is an episode about a terrible person dying and everybody kind of being happy about it. And it, and it would almost seem insensitive, like, you know, oh, that's kind of mean that they're making fun of it. Not that it's wrong, because there are a lot of shows that are just, they're intentionally mean, and that's kind of the humor you see in it. But with this show, it's just, it's so hard to put my finger on it that it's making light of a person literally dying but it's not making fun of it. Like it's just it's 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 just a perfect balance of comedy and drama, and just not getting heavy. And uh, I don't know. It, it, I'd love to sit there and analyze how the Golden Girls is able to pull this off, whereas other shows, it either will come across one of two ways. It either come across as being too heavy, or it comes across as being a little too mean spirited. Um, but this is just perfect. And they don't have a lot of time to build this lady Frida Claxton either. She's just sort of dropped in the... They talk about her so much. And then when she's dropped in the episode, you know, yeah, she's nasty, but she's not necessarily, like, the devil in human flesh or anything. Um, You're just like, what a terrible old lady. It's just when Rose loses it on here, it's probably because it's Rose. I think that's the reason it works. If it were any of the other characters who killed her here, I think this becomes heavier. But because it is Rose and there is so much innocence with her character... I think the audience just instantly knows, like, oh, okay, it's okay to laugh at this, you know, because Rose didn't mean it. <laughs> I don't know if that uh, makes any sense. But, um, yeah, just the the explosion that Rose has, like, I don't think that I 100% saw that coming, even though the entire episode is kind of telegraphing that as the punchline. And I think that also goes to you know, how incredible of a performer, a comic performer that Betty White is, that she can in a way almost convince you that she still is the last person in the world that would ever do this, which is great. Um, I love the courtroom scene, even though it's, it's basically just letting this woman be terrible forever and then having her drop dead because they have the little gags in there. Like the, the councilman, uh, you know, it's like, well, let's back up for a second. There's not anybody else visible in these photographs. Are there, uh, there's not a lot going on in this scene other than just setting up this terrible woman and having her drop dead. But it's pulled off so well, so I can kind of see, even though the premise is so basic in this episode, between this scene and the funeral scene that's going to come up later on, I can see why this is held in such high regard as one of the best episodes, because the execution is incredible. And for a sitcom, which is really just telling jokes, and telling jokes in front of a studio audience, it doesn't seem like it's that complicated. There are things that they do in this episode that should not have worked as well as they did. And, you know, kind of touching on what you said about, like, you know, it's essentially all this courtroom scene is only building up to have this woman drop dead. Mm -hmm. um, and you said, you know, it doesn't feel like we're laughing at her. Or it doesn't feel like we're, you know, 
miserable to to take a line from a word from the title, mm-hmm. but it's like almost like making a joke out of something so serious to like ease tension almost. Yeah. Like obviously in the real world, if I told someone to drop dead and they died, it would be awful. But you know, in in the heat of the moment of the courtroom over a tree, like mind you, you know, the most innocent character says that, and it it just says like a slow build until she dies, and then you realize, oh, okay, that just happened. Mm-hmm. But like the the punchlines and the the simple joke that Sophia has of, you know, when you told her to do this, she did it. <laughs> like it was just like a funny line, but it was it eased some of the tension of, okay, a woman just died. And then obviously it's going to ramp up a little more emotionally because Rose is carrying this guilt of, oh, I killed this woman. Um, but they casually ease the tension of that throughout the episode with the jokes. And I think that's why it's so effective. You know, as you said, the execution of it was so, you know, flawless that they could just do this like heavy subject of, you know, life or death in a simple way. Um, I think that they ease it later on in the tension when, you know, they're in the, they, they leave the courtroom, they're back at their house and, you know, Rose can't sleep. And then Dorothy comes in and says, or not Dorothy, Blanche comes in and says, Rose, you can't sleep. You killed her two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, after Dorothy is spent there consoling Rose saying, you didn't kill her. It, it was a heart attack. It could have happened at any time. And then she storms in, you killed her two days ago. Get over it. Um, it's just the funniness, but it's serious. Like, you know, as you know, the serious scene happens and then there's that kind of relief. And I think that this kind of carries through as the next scene. Uh, do they go to the funeral home right after this or do they spend more? I'm blanking on. Yeah, I think they go straight the to the funeral home after this. Okay. Um, so, yeah, they go to the funeral home to meet Mr. Pfeiffer. <laughs> uh, which is just this. It is this, probably the stupidest joke mm-hmm. of the entire thing. Mr. Pfeiffer. No, no, the P is not silent. It's Pfeiffer. Like, <laughs> sometimes I have to like question, like, what did I just watch? It's just, <laughs> it's so stupid. But like, it's perfect, right? <laughs> it It ends up like, when they introduced it, that was one of those other moments where I'm like, ooh, if there's a second joke that didn't hit in this episode, it's this. But it's all the follow-throughs they have after that where you're like, now I get why they did that. Because like so many of the the second mentions and third mentions of it gets funnier each time. Yeah, and then the slipping of saying Pfeiffer and then Pfeiffer and then, you know, Dorothy saying the funeral. <laughs> oh, and, and let's not forget the, the best one when... Um... And it may have been the the one like I was watching this on the computer while Casper was watching you know something on Netflix and for the most part I'm like chuckling but I'm trying to take notes so it's not like I'm laughing out loud and I just erupt at the part here where um he's uh, or they're saying like oh you know we're we're just here to plan his funeral and he goes oh isn't that lovely the three of you planning ahead for mother and then Sophia's like hey Pfeiffer do you want me to punch you in the face. <laughs> I just exploded. Like, I, I cracked up. I was probably screaming. It was so funny. It was, hands down, funniest part of the episode. Yeah, and then they, he makes a comment at the end saying, what well, was he made a comment at the end of like, oh, yeah, when when they were all done with the arrangements, he's like, if you don't have, you have time, we can plan ahead. Yeah, it's, it's not, uh, it's never too early to start planning ahead. <laughs> what was their, what was the response on 
Did they have a response back? I don't remember. I didn't note any. Okay. Maybe they didn't. I, I, it feels like they would. Um, but anyway, they're planning it and then they go through the, with Pfeiffer, you know, he selected the, the finest luxury, you know, material. And then they're saying how much and he keeps going. It's the finest quality here. And then I think it was Dorothy or Blanche slams the thing down and says, how much? <laughs> and he says 6,000. And, oh, I forget the line that someone said. It was like that they're planning a funeral for. Do you remember? No, I don't remember the exact line, but that became like a- another kind of repeated joke each time he knocks the price down. They're like, no, not a chance. Like they said something where like they're planning a funeral for someone who's like not a saint or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're like, what's the, what's the cheapest you got? And then it's like, we got this pine box. And they're like, sold. $200, sold. <laughs> <laughs> And I just think it, and then the, the, oh, ah, edit. <laughs> um, what was I saying? I gotta find my phone. There we go. I think this is where they transition to the funeral scene. I thought the other, I thought, was it just like a quick closing line of the, it's never too early to plan thing? Yeah, I think that's kind of how it ends. Okay. I didn't know if there was something else after that. I couldn't remember. Um, did you have anything to say on the thing? Or can um, I move on? Well, we could just group in the funeral scene. Okay. Um, so obviously, after they make all the arrangements, they have the funeral scene where only the four women show up. Um, and they're pretty much there the entire time alone, you know, wondering and talking. And, oh, maybe she didn't really touch anyone's lives. And Rose is still clinging on to hope that someone cared. Or there was family or something. And then this one woman shows up and she is the dearest friend of the deceased. <laughs> and the first time I watched this, I was like, oh, that's a really weird thing to throw out in this last minute, like who we care for. But then I was like, okay, maybe, that's, maybe they're going to have funny jokes in it. And then she goes on this huge monologue. She donated to so many charities and, you know, she spent time in like a, it was a leper colony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And just all these things and like all the, the women are like tearing up and are like, oh, oh, like putting their hands in their faces in their hands and everything, like everything. And it's just, you know, having the tissues and everything. And it was a big deal. And then she drops the line of who, who was it? Her friend? Celia Rubenstein. So, yes. Celia, Celia Rubenstein <laughs> touched so many lives. And then out of nowhere, Dorothy goes, who? <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny. And then they're like, no, this is for Frida Claxton. And the woman just kicks the <laughs> box and runs out. <laughs> I just remember this. Like, this would probably be the one thing that would, like, if I had to pick one thing that crossed the line, her kicking the casket, uh-huh. cas- in air quotes, casket, it was a box, crossed the line a little bit on the death thing. But otherwise, this was hysterical when she said, <laughs> it was too funny. You go. Um, just going back to the scene when Rose was, you know, feeling upset that she killed, um, Frida Claxton here. Uh, another... Not Celia Rubenstein. Yes, or Celia Rubenstein. She's, she's gotten around. She's killed a lot of people, Rose. <laughs> How many of these other people in that funeral home have been put away by Rose? Uh, but I just, I love how all these characters, you know, they have their thing. And we mentioned Dorothy is just the quick wit. And 
just like I was saying with Betty White, how she can make certain things funny just from the experience she had in a way that you wouldn't expect. You know, B. Arthur, you expect her to have these comebacks. When somebody says something stupid, you know she's going to have kind of an insult to throw at them. But it's when she can deliver a line, and in not until the line's done do you realize how funny it is and that it is one of her comebacks. It's not she's not telling the audience ahead of time, I'm about to give you a bit of a slam. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to slam somebody here. When Rose is saying, it's like, Dorothy, if you were to drop dead and nobody showed up at your funeral, uh, how would you feel? And Dorothy's response is like, well, Rose, this may just be a personal thing, but uh, I would think that dropping dead would be the bigger disappointment. (laughs) I never saw that joke coming. Because she could have very easily delivered it with the regular way that Dorothy would deliver. It's like, well, Rose, if I were to drop dead. She doesn't. She's playing it so straight that while she's telling the joke, you think she's sincerely trying to just have a real conversation with her. You know, like a a real conversation about life and death. It's just brilliant. The little things that these performers do that make it so much funnier than somebody in their 40s or 30s could have pulled off or even 50s in some of these cases um i love the guy at the funeral home this guy also uh was on home improvement he played one of tim's brothers on home improvement he also was famous i don't know if these commercials were everywhere uh but he was i think it was um good year or something like that like some type of uh, car or, or tire company. He was like the spokesman. He always had these commercials on TV. And one of them I remember was really famous. He was like on an airplane and, uh, you know, he thought he was going to be going to the Caribbean. And the, the commercial's still about, you know, whatever fountain tire or, <laughs> uh, Goodyear tires or something like that. And, um, Somebody lets him in. It's like, oh, this flight's not going to the Caribbean. It's like, oh, okay, so we're not going to the Caribbean. So we're going to, and the person's like, Winnipeg. He goes, okay, we're going to Winnipeg. Is being from Winnipeg, it was just hilarious how often Winnipeg becomes the butt of jokes <laughs> for things like on The Simpsons, where it's like back to Winnipeg and everything else. Uh, so yeah, this guy I'm familiar with, and he, he's really good, like in everything I've ever seen him in, including the uh, the tire commercials. Um, and I love the way when he's describing his funeral home, where he's like, you know, we uh, you know eliminate this, this, and this. We like to get rid of all the morbid stuff. And then Sophia's like, what are you running here, a sushi bar? <laughs> Um, and I forgot to mention, um, you know, when he, the Pfeiffer asked, <laughs> how did Miss Claxton die? And then Sophia says, she killed her. Yeah, she killed her. <laughs> Just and she's like, rough neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, even better was, um, when he's like, when do you want to do the funeral? It's like, well, how about Thursday evening? And they're like, no, we can't do Thursday evening. And he comes up and he just says, oh, right, the Cosby show. You know, uh, implying that, oh, you, you old lady's going to be sitting at home watching the Cosby show. And then we say, what about Friday? And Sophia's like, could you give us a TV guide to look at first? <laughs> like, dead serious. <laughs> um, she would do that, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that is not out of character, either. Like, that was not a joke for the sake of a joke. That was like... <laughs> possibly character intention yeah like you got a tv guide we could check first (laughs) um and then the funeral scene like this is the brilliance there's not a lot of jokes in it it is kind of them just sadly sitting there saying like i can't believe nobody came and then when that other lady walks in like the brilliance of this show is to uh swerve the audience so that you think they're going one direction because it would be a smart way to end it and then they do the exact opposite so when the friend here, we find out is Celia Rubinstein's friend, 
comes and starts telling the story, as an audience, you're starting to think, oh, this is what the episode's about. You know, even if she was the worst person in the world, there's always somebody that loves that one person. And I, as I was watching, I'm like, I'm like, that's a really smart way to end the episode. And then when she says Celia Rubinstein, again, you don't see it coming because the direction of the scene would have made sense if she was talking about Frida Claxton. You know, not that it would go along with the character we've been shown of Frida up until this point, but just the way that comedy works, the way that you would set a joke like this up, or not even in this case a joke, the way that you would set up a story you know, let's have this nice moment. Like, that's the purpose of this story. Because no matter what you watch, there always has to be, like, this is the reason for it. Or, or Especially in these classic TV shows and, you know, obviously classic cartoons were very uh, famous for this. Like, the lesson we learned today, kids, you, you think every episode is going to end in that. And this being the end of the episode, it would have made perfect sense that that's the what it was about. So when she says Celia Rubin said, that's why that line's so funny if people haven't watched this episode. Because they did such a good job of convincing you this was going to be a nice ending. And it just seems so fitting that in this episode where it's all about redeeming a person, there is no redemption. And it is not played, again, in a dark way. It's not played in a mean-spirited way. It's just, it's funny. And when she kicks the casket, like like you said, if anything would have crossed the line, that would have been it. But if you had done that joke earlier in the episode, I don't think it works as well. Doing it after the whole Celia Rubinstein thing where you're like, okay, I get this is the point of the episode now. It just lands so brilliantly. Like the, the, this scene is absolutely brilliant how they pulled it off. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, and I think that it's even funnier. Like, you know, I think it's a good point. You talk about the, they take it one direction. They like turn right to they think they're going to go right, but then they turn left yeah. last second. Uh, and then they do it again right before they're leaving, you know. You know, this woman storms out, like, Pfeiffer says, Sheila Rubenstein's down the hall, and she storms out and leaves. Um, and then they're about to leave. And then he comes in and says, well, are you going to take Mrs. Claxton? <laughs> and he's like, where is she? She's like, right here in my hand in this urn. We cremated her by mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they are running a sushi bar. Maybe Sophia was right. Um <laughs> And he says something so like, I gotta I'm... stop hiring teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forgot that. <laughs> um, and then so like they have they're forced to take these ashes of a woman they hated. Um, and then Rose has the brilliant but stupid but brilliant but crazy strategy of putting them around the tree mm-hmm. and informing the the city council that um maybe I wanna disturb someone's remains. <laughs> and it ends with the Maybe the lowest, lowbrowest joke we could get of the Great Dane paying its respects yeah. <laughs> to Mrs. Claxton at the very end. And that's the Golden Girls. I think an unexpected ending, but I think it's for a wild episode. I mean, how did you react to the ending of it, really? Um, I mean, it, I think the Great Dane line's hilarious. Uh, and again, it's just all in the delivery where it says this really, t- it's the fact they say it's touching how that Great Dane is paying its respects to right now. Uh, and there was one more line in this last scene that was just absolutely brilliant when uh, they're saying, like, uh, oh, I guess you were right, Rosie. Uh, life, uh, everything in life has a meaning. It's like, uh, you mean as fertilizer? <laughs> I can't remember who it was to deliver that line. This episode really just gets meaner as it goes along, but. It's so lighthearted, like you don't blame it. Uh, I mean, 
this it really is one of the perfect episodes to sum up the Golden Girls. Like, such a simple plot, just four women doing their thing, not the type of stories you would get. And it really makes me think, when you have an episode like this that's dealing with retired people and what their everyday life like, you would never get a story like this on The Cosby Show or Cheers or Night Court or any of the other shows that were out around this time. It, it, it needed to be a show like this to tell these stories. I think that's one of the reasons this show works so well because... There had never been a show like it before, as simple as the premise seems. Just the fact that it's dealing with these characters who are older. There's no reason that you would ever have to tell these stories on any other show. And all other shows are dealing with characters who are in their 20s, 30s, or 40s. So to have retired characters, you actually open the door to more opportunities to tell original stories that are memorable. And it's kind of crazy that other shows haven't gone here since. Because it is, it's not even the premise of the show, it's just something so different. You know, I, I can imagine this was like, you know, when they, they first started doing, you know, teen sitcoms. Well, you'd never reached out to that audience before. So now you have a TV show that's directed at a demographic, and you're also able to tell stories that have never been told in television before like that. So... I mean, such a revolutionary show. We could talk all day about it, but I mean, the, the show's brilliant. This episode's brilliant. Golden Girls as a whole is brilliant. And Estelle Getty is brilliant. Uh, just not just Estelle Getty. But she is uh, the best, let's be honest. Betty White. And just one other thing to mention, I guess, is a purpose of trivia. I mean, I think all these actresses were kind of around the same age. I think Betty White was the oldest of all of them, if I was right. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love Estelle Getty so much is that she was the only character or the only actor in the show playing somebody older than she was because they basically aged her about 20 years to play the older generation because they wanted to have like a character that was a mother of the rest of these characters. But yet in real life, Estelle Getty, I don't even believe was the oldest of the cast members. And when I would watch the show, I never viewed her as somebody playing an older lady. Like, I 100% believe that this was a 100-year-old lady when I watched this show. Oh, yeah. She pulls it off very well. <laughs> like, you don't even question it mm -hmm. at all. You just kind of, you just, she goes, she's got that, that old charm of, like, just saying whatever she feels like and no one's going to question it too much. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that works. And then I think that because they don't really rise to a lot of the jokes, you know, you're like, all right, this is old woman's older. Mm -hmm. Kind of, and, like, so it works so well in a lot of the scenes and her, you know, character's relationship to Dorothy is really effective. And I think that they really connect on some an actress level. You know, they connect very well and can deliver a good performance together. So, obviously, we'll see. There are some episodes of the series where they do that very well. This is one where they really don't interact too much. But, yeah, this episode is brilliant. Um when I suggested it, I was like, oh, I don't really remember it too well. Obviously, you know, I was just picking out of the, the blue, like trying to find a good episode. But I'm so glad we watched this. This is so fun to kind of reminisce. It's so nostalgic for something that I wasn't even around for. Like just to rewatch this, like it was just so refreshing. Mm -hmm. um, this and Home Improvement, like two shows that were before my time, but I got to watch again and relive again. And it was so enjoyable to kind of go through this with you. Um, uh, how did we close out? Uh, do we have anything to say? We gotta read it. Oh, yeah. So do that.
Okay. <laughs> well, uh, I'm buying this one. I mean, I've talked this up more. Usually when we, we cover movies, TV shows, or whatever, I feel like sitcoms, one of the reasons we haven't covered it as much is because if the show makes you laugh, it succeeded. But it's not like with most comedies, they're doing anything out of the ordinary, you know? Um, it's just, well, did the show make me laugh? And every week, it's going to make you laugh a little bit. But I think this shows how a comedy could really be on the same level of storytelling that we get out of dramas that we talk about uh, when we talk about dramatic shows or even reality shows. You know, oh, this episode had everything going for it. It's just, it's it's expert storytelling. Uh, and not just the performers. We've given a lot of credit to the performers. But even just the writers and the crew, how they pulled off this episode, it's... It's actually quite incredible. So this one's easily a buy it. Are you sure you don't want to rent it or bin it? No, not a chance. So obviously last week I famously binned um, a Canadian icon. No. Um, and this week I will do not that. And I will rate a Miami icon. And I will say it is an absolute buy. Is there like a, a double buy where I can buy it twice? I mean, no, but if there was, I would be doing the same thing. So we'd be like, at where's a the quadruple. rank above buy. Um, I don't know. Build an altar towards it. <laughs> Memorialize it. Create, yeah. I don't, um, I'm going to put buy. Yes, we're going to put buy <laughs> this episode. <laughs> yeah, that's all we We're going to put buy. Um, yeah, so what's kind of coming up next week, Colin? So I... Am I going to hate you? Maybe. We'll see. Oh. Um, I think it's important to do different things on here. Like, if we just picked all of our favorite shows, this would get dull. It, the oh, fun this is what I, I want to watch your favorite shows. Well, I think the fun thing about this is that we get a chance to talk about shows we wouldn't normally talk about, and we can pick the best of the best instead of starting at the beginning you know it's like well let's talk about this episode it's tough to do this because some shows you know unless you're watching the first episode you're going to be completely lost you know i had suggested a bates hotel uh, lost. other than lost, yeah we're, this is lost mondays so uh let's go back and let's revisit uh lost season two uh no let's do something else but like i had suggested a bates motel episode which i think people who will watch bates motel uh, would have gotten it and I'm still debating over it because the spoilers you would get from this season five Bates Motel episode uh, you know if you've seen the movie or know of the movie Psycho it's not going to spoil anything but still it's really tough so there's a lot I have a long list of shows and one of the ones one. one of the ones on there is going to be by far the oldest show we're going to cover I'm saying that right now because we're going back like over 50 years for this episode uh, and that's Lost in Space. Now, are, have you ever seen the original Lost in Space TV show? No. All right. So let me just say it is 50% great classic sci-fi along the lines of like classic Star Trek or Twilight Zone or whatever else. There are some really smart episodes. The other 50% is campy kids garbage. And oh. There is one episode of Lost in Space, which I'm not going to, all I'm going to say is this is the most famous episode of Lost in Space ever. Uh, it's an episode so famous that every cast member of the show, whenever interviewed, they will always say this is their favorite episode. 
never once will anybody not say it's the best episode of Lost in Space. Um, at least of the, the cast and crew or whatever. Uh, it's called The Great Vegetable Rebellion. So this is season three, <laughs> episode 23. And all I'm going to say is you are in for a treat because this episode is the most famous episode Lost in Space ever had. Um, and this is a show that I discovered when I was a teenager uh, just because it was in reruns. And one day I watched it. I'm like, this show is either brilliant or terrible, but I can't stop watching it either way. Can it be both? It is kind of both. And I'm interested to get a take of somebody with this being their first episode. So if ever, there's a lot of things we're we're covering shows here. Like I said, Corner Gas, you know, watch Corner Gas. If you've never seen Corner Gas, our review, our recap. Last watch week. the episode we watched. Jeez, that was. <laughs> but I think even if even if you have never seen Golden Girls or never seen Corner Gas, you can listen to our recaps here, and we're kind of just giving a review for check out these shows. With this episode, I'm going to say everybody needs to watch this. They owe it to themselves to watch season three, episode twenty three of Lost in Space: The Great Vegetable Rebellion, and then listen to the episode with us next week because it is going to be glorious. I'm nervous. <laughs> I mean, I was nervous because I knew Corner Guest was such a big one last time, and I kind of did not like it at all. <laughs> and so now I'm ner- I'm curious to see what what happened this this next coming week. Uh, I'm I'm very nervous. It's in like be an fun. excited, confused, like weird way. But uh, uh, I'm hoping for the best. I will say nothing. <laughs> I'm hoping for something. Yeah, I, I don't know how to feel. But stay tuned for that, because that'll be a very epic, interesting recap, I can guarantee you, based on what Colin's saying. Um, and I'm sure he can vouch for that. <laughs> but that is it for Lost Mondays here <laughs> on the Oz Network. Um, don't get lost. Stay on our social media and check out what we're recapping about and check out the website and listen to our episodes. And Ben's probably doing something. Does he do things still? He does. He's, I think, going to be or has already reviewed Bohemian Rhapsody, the new uh, Queen movie. And um, he's got his third watches and his... I always forget one of the shows. Third watch and Nip Tuck, those ones. Those ones are still going out. And we should also say, um, everybody, uh, since we started this show or prior to the Oz Network, we started doing a Survivor podcast. We did just cover the Survivor Merge episode, which is a full recap of the entire first half of the current season of Survivor. So people should check that one out as well, if you haven't already found it. I agree. It's brilliant. <laughs> Rossi was on fire in that podcast. You, I'm, on, I'm on fire in all podcasts. What are you saying? <laughs> How dare you? Drop dead, Colin. <laughs> um, that'll do it for us before I tell more people to drop dead. Um, uh, stay tuned. Listen to the network. Uh, we're going. Uh, I'm Rossi. Uh, I want to punch you in your face. <laughs> and my name's Colin. And Rossi, you're a miserable, vile, scum-sucking crank who gives nice old ladies like me a bad name. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.